0: The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our eight fifteen and eleven a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Philemon. That is in the New Testament. It's a little hard to find or can be hard to find because it's 25 verses, one page in your Bible. If you're using a pew Bible, it can be found on page 1000 in the pew Bible. The question is, why are we studying Philemon? Well, because it is the companion, one reason, it is the companion letter to Colossians. This letter was... Delivered alongside the letter to the Colossians to an individual in that church, the church at Colossae, uh, named Philemon. And it's very unique because it's the only surviving letter that we have from the Apostle Paul that is addressed to an individual friend. So that's one reason. Second reason is when you look at Philemon, it is a very vivid picture and Very instructive and helpful for us when thinking about reconciliation and healing relational conflicts. See if you can relate to this. I read this. This was a couple of years ago in the New York Times. It was an article on family, but it begins like this. It was the week of our extended family's annual gathering in August. Do you have those where everyone comes together? And we were struggling in the moment with all sorts of crisis. My parents were aging. My wife and I were straining under the chaos of raising young children. My sister was bracing to prepare her preteens for the real world. And sure enough, one night around the dinner table, all the tensions boiled over. At dinner, I noticed my nephew texting under the table, and I knew I shouldn't say anything. But I couldn't help myself. And so I asked him to stop. And kaboom, the article says. My sister snapped at me to not discipline her children. And then my dad pointed out that my girls were the ones balancing spoons on their noses. And my mom said none of her grandchildren had any manners at all. And within minutes... We were all in our separate corners in the house. And later, my dad called me to his bedside. There was a palpable sense of fear I couldn't remember hearing before. Our family is falling apart, he said. And I instinctively said, no, it's not. It's stronger than ever. But that night, as I was lying in the bed, I began to wonder, Was he right? Was our family indeed falling apart? And then I began to wonder, what was the secret sauce that holds a family together? What is the secret ingredient that makes some families effective, resilient, and happy? Can you relate to that? We can all relate to that, can't we? Because all of us have relationships, whether at work, with friends, at church, family, in our marriages, where harsh words have been said and tensions have bubbled to the surface. And again, one of the hard parts about preaching is you can't say everything, and so there's more, obviously, to be said. But one of the key ingredients that holds relationships and families and marriages together is the ability to navigate and engage and resolve conflict. It's vital for having effective, resilient, happy, and healthy relationships. That's why we're studying Philemon. That is why we are studying in our kingdom communities. Everyone is going through the peacekeepers. It is not because there's a problem in the church. It's not because there's some huge, huge division. We've got so much unity now as a church, and we're very, very thankful for it. But we know that we've got to be proactive, that we live in a fallen, broken world, and conflict is inevitable, and it is crouching at the door because the world thrives and runs off conflict. And so we're, going to, we're looking at peacekeepers, but we're also going to look at Philemon so that we can see the healthy ingredients for navigating conflict and having healthy relationships inside and outside the church. And Philemon helps us to do that because it speaks to a very specific interpersonal problem and conflict that exists between two individuals in the local church, a man named Philemon and his runaway slave, Onesimus. This book or letter is going to show us how the gospel radically reconstructs our relationships. So that our relationships are not defined by division and pain and bitterness, but by intimacy, love and peace. All of us need this letter this morning. So follow along with me. This is God's word. And the encouraging thing is we get to read a letter the exactly the way the letter was in all the letters of Paul were intended to be read in one sitting with the, all the church present. So this is God's word. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and then Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing That you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning. Please pray with me. Father, we do ask for your help. Holy Spirit, come. And I pray that you would move all of our distractions away. We carry lots of things into this room. And for the next few minutes, would you move those away and would you put our full attention on the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that we would encounter him, that we would encounter your word, that it would bring conviction, but it would also bring change and encouragement. So would you do these things this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to look at this letter this morning and see that peacemaking, uh, in order for us to be peacemakers, in order for us to pursue reconciliation in our relationships, it takes courage, number one. It takes great care, humility, and love as we move into that, those relationships. And lastly, it takes Christ. It takes Jesus. Uh, It takes the gospel. So courage, care, and Christ is where we're headed this morning. So let's look at our first heading. If we're ever going to be peacemakers, we need courage. That's the first point. This is really an incredible story. And let me give you a little of the backstory. but this could definitely be on the big screen. It's an amazing story. If you Let's work through these verses here. Look at verses 1 through 3. The apostle Paul is writing this. He's still in prison, and he's writing to his good friend Philemon. And Philemon was someone who's a friend of Paul who was converted in Paul's ministry. You see that in verse 19. You owe me everything, even your own self. And so Philemon owes his eternal life, to the Apostle Paul. And then you see Aphia appears there, and she appears to be Philemon's wife. Archippus, if you remember from the end of Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, he is someone who was publicly engaged in ministry in the Colossian church, and many people believe Archippus was most likely the pastor of the Colossian church. And then you see that phrase, the church in your house. And so the Colossian church met in Philemon's house. This was a house church. And Paul is writing because a problem or tension uh, has arisen within the church between Philemon and particularly in his household and his runaway slave, Onesimus. And Paul is writing because he wants to protect the peace and purity of the church. And so we see that Onesimus is run away, and it seems to indicate, look at verse 18, that he probably had stolen from Philemon on the way out in order to pay for his trip. And he ends up in Rome, but get this, Rome was over a thousand miles away from Colossae. And in God's providence, again, over a thousand miles away, Onesimus runs in and crosses paths with the Apostle Paul, who just happened to be a very good friend of Philemon. And he becomes a Christian, and Onesimus starts to care for Paul and take care of him while he is in prison. And so they become so that the Apostle Paul does not want to let Onesimus go. You get that in verse 13. I would like to keep him if I can. And so then the question is, so, okay, why does he let him go? Well, because remember the Apostle Paul, we saw it in Colossians, you see it here. The gospel of Jesus Christ always took priority over his own needs and over everything else. And Paul knows that the right thing to do is to send Onesimus back to Philemon in order to be reconciled. And I want you to think about this. Paul didn't have to do this. I mean, think about it. Again, uh, over 1,000 miles away, Philemon by this point had probably even forgotten about all of this. And so why bring this up? Why does Paul bother with this at this point, here's why Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. So, if you bring an offering to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave the gift at the altar and what do you do? You go and you be reconciled to your brother and then you come and you offer your gift. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. As far as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. That's why Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, because the gospel demands it. You see, the gospel calls us, all of us, to reconciliation. To make us, it calls us to make things right with people we are at odds with, especially our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. And so that's what Paul does. Tychicus is taking the letter to the Colossians, and he says, while you're at it, Onesimus, here's a letter Philemon, go and you see Philemon, and I'm going to give you this letter, and I'm going to hope and urge and appeal to Philemon to welcome you with open arms and forgiveness. And then the question is, okay, well, why does he have to appeal? I thought Philemon was a Christian. Well, in that culture, the standard and the law said, Roman law said that he was not bound to receive Onesimus back and be kind to him. Because Onesimus owed Philemon. And he was in trouble he had skipped out on work and he had taken resources and stolen from him for his trip. And Philemon, according to Roman law, could have been branded, could have been beaten, and even put to death. That was the legal standard. And that is what often happened in these particular situations. And the Apostle Paul is writing, and here's, in a sense, what he's saying Philemon, you're a Christian. Philemon, you belong to Jesus and you are to live counterculturally in the world. The world says it said it then and the world says it now. You write people off. If people have wronged you, you be done with them. But the gospel says, no, God has reconciled us to himself. Therefore, now go be reconciled with one another. And again, people struggle with this letter. Uh, because Paul does not go after and denounce slavery. I don't have time to get in. Again, limits of preaching. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago at the end of Colossians. But why doesn't he hear? Again, Bible clearly against that. That's not the way God designed it. People are uh, created in the image of God. Paul is against it, but it's not the point here. What the point is, and what Paul is urging, is for Christians to be Christian in the world. And so he is saying, church, be the church in the world. We treat people differently. Dick Lucas, commentator, says this. What was being achieved everywhere at this time was the establishment of a little little oasis called the church, which was an alternative way of life that was being practiced in relationships, and it could be observed. Paul was calling Philemon, and he's calling us to live out the gospel in the world, particularly in our relationships. That's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Because for the most part, we are conflict avoiders, and we want to avoid it at all costs, don't we? entering into those hard conversations and situations. And it makes sense. Why? Because it's often really messy. It's often really hard. And it's really awkward. And we would much rather just ignore it, sweep it under the rug, give it some time. Maybe it'll blow over. And the problem with that approach is what? It never does. Think about the phrase, sweep it it under the rug. You know what that's getting at. We want to sweep the dirt in our house under the rug just to make it quick and easy and to make it go away. What's the problem with that? It's still there. It's still going to work itself out in some way or another. It's the same thing with children who clean your room and they stuff everything under the bed or in the closet. It's still there. The problem still exists. And Paul is saying, move towards that person. And the gospel obligates you to courageously move towards other people and to write the relationship where wrongs have been done. To move towards another person with humility and forgiveness rather than ignoring it or sweeping it under the rug, which would be far easier. Why? Because we're family. That's Paul's argument. And are there a ton of nuances? Yes. I was... In a KC this morning, they're talking about overlookable offenses. So you've got all of that. You've got repentance. Yes, there's lots of ways that we can nuance this and different things and wisdom to be used. But here's what I want you to hear into this first point. Christians are called to courageously move towards reconciliation with other people where repair needs to be done in the relationship. That's the point. And so here's a very practical application. What is one relationship in your life this morning that is broken? And how is God calling you to courageously walk towards re- reconciliation in that relationship? Very practical. Secondly, care. So this second point gets at this idea of how we move towards those Uh, relationships where conflict exists in reconciliation and the manner and care that we see of Paul here and his appeal to Philemon is brilliant and it's masterful. Listen to this. One commentator said the letter to Philemon was most brilliantly nuanced, was the most brilliantly nuanced, compelling letter of reconciliation in ancient history. And you see it. It's brilliant. Paul doesn't force or coerce Philemon. Instead, you know, his approach, his words are full of kindness and tact and love and care, which I think is a great model and gives direction for us in our own relationships, particularly those where conflict or problems exist. And you could also say here, which I think is very clear, Paul's appeal is really a very vivid picture of our call to confession which Martin read, Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on compassion and kindness and humility and patience. Bear with one another. Put on love above all things because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's what we see Paul doing. He doesn't pick sides. He moves towards each individual in love. How do we see that? Look at verse 10, Onesimus. He calls Onesimus... Onesimus, his child. Verse 12, I'm sending you my very heart. The word for heart there is the word for internal organs. So it's another way of saying I'm sending you a part of myself when I send Onesimus to you. That's the way I feel about him. Verse 16, beloved brother. Verse 17, care for him and receive him just as you would receive me. You can hardly be more forceful. Onesimus was Paul's child, his heart, and his brother. He deeply loved him, but he also deeply loved Philemon. Look at verses four through seven. Look at the encouragement to Philemon. He is thankful for him and his love and his love for Jesus and for God's people. And then pay particular attention to verses eight and nine and notice Paul's attitude. Notice particularly his humility. He's not demanding. He doesn't power up on Philemon. Notice he doesn't say, I appeal to you. Listen, I'm an apostle. I led you to Christ. Do what I say. Listen to me. He doesn't do that. He doesn't coerce him into compliance. He appeals, look at what it says, on the basis of love. Verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. So that your own goodness might not be by compulsion, but on your own accord. So here's what he's saying. Philemon, I know you. And I know that you're a good man. That you love Jesus and that you love God's people. And Onesimus is more than a slave. You see, Onesimus has been changed by the gospel. And Onesimus is now your beloved brother. Look at verse 16. And I want you to show him the same love. That Jesus has shown you. That's what he's saying. Paul is living the gospel before Philemon. And he is applying the gospel to Philemon's heart in hopes that Philemon would then go and apply the gospel to his relationship with Onesimus. He's appealing to his heart because he knows that true reconciliation is not simply about behavior. It has to start in the heart. And he's giving Philemon a chance to live out the gospel in his relationships. And not only that, look, we see Paul demonstrates in moves towards them in love and humility but notice he does lay out expectations and provide accountability did you see that look at verse 21 I love this I'm confident that you're going to do the right thing (laughs) and that you're going to do even more than I say and look at verse 22 and I'm going to hold you accountable I'm invested in this situation, in you and Onesimus, and I'm going to come and check on this situation. And I want you to have a room ready for me. No pressure. <laughs> and to add on top of that, don't forget that this letter would have been read to the entire church. And so the church would have looked at Philemon and says, What you going to do, Philemon? What you going to do with... Onesimus. And at first glance and hear this, it appeared like, come on, Paul, it's a little much. I mean, you're being a little overbearing, don't you think? No. Because we all need this, don't we? I need this. We need this kind of support and this kind of accountability in order to do the hard things that the gospel requires us to do. Paul knew that. And he knew this was going to be hard. And he says, I am going to support you, but I'm also going to hold you accountable to do the right thing. And so this teaches us that peacemaking and reconciliation, yes, humility and love and kindness as we move towards people caring for them. But it also means like like, that like the Apostle Paul, we have people in our lives that will push us to do the right thing that will push us to live out the gospel in the world. And so, next application question, do you have those kinds of people in your life? Do you have people who will push you to live out the gospel in your relationships even when it's hard? People who will follow up with you and say, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? Have you talked to them yet? I'm praying for you. Let me know how I can help. And oh, by the way, I'll check again in a couple weeks. Do you have those people in your life? Lastly, Christ. So reconciliation or being a peacemaker takes courage. It takes great care. And it also takes Jesus. So the thing we need to with Jesus is we need to remember specifically with Jesus that he is still on his throne in the middle of whatever conflict that we're in. And he's always at work. Look at verses 15 and 16. For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, so that you may have him back forever, not as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. Let me translate that for you. Philemon, do you see what God is doing here? Do you see how God is at work in all of this? He is pointing Philemon to God's control over all things and the fact that God was working through the theft and through the escape, and through meeting Paul a thousand miles away, and through his conversion, and now through his return as a new creation in Christ. And there is historical evidence that Philemon and the Colossian church did welcome Onesimus back. Because you see, 50 years later, Ignatius, who was a great a Christian martyr in the early church was being transported from Antioch to Rome to be executed. And during that time, he was writing letters to certain churches. And one of the churches he was writing to was Ephesus. And in that letter, using similar language that Paul would use in describing Onesimus, he praises their bishop whose name is Onesimus. You see, it's highly likely that the runaway slave is now serving the church as a leader and served Christ for many more years. Here's my point. We often think in the middle of our conflict or whatever it is that we're going through that Jesus has left the building because it's so hard. Jesus has not left the building. He is still on his throne. He is working out his purposes in your life through the conflict and tension. And so in the middle of whatever it is that we are dealing with in our relationships, instead of turning around and running, what if our eyes went upward and we said, God, you're in this because you're in control of all things. What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? How are you trying to show me my sin and bring it to the surface so that I might actually deal with it, experience repentance and grow and change? Friends, never doubt the perfect wisdom and plan of God. God does all things well. And then I think there's application very quickly. If God's always at work, it should make us very gracious and patient with other people. Think about Onesimus. Onesimus' story was not over when all of this was going on. And your story's not over either. And the poor, the people that you're in relationship with, and maybe it's hard and it's frustrating and it's really tense, their story's not over either. God's at work in their life, just like he's at work in your life. Let me say it another way. Everybody's right smack in the middle of their own sanctification, including you and including the people that you're in relationship with. And then lastly, if we're going to be peacemakers, we have got to collapse into Jesus because it's the gospel and it's Jesus who fuels us to be reconcilers and peacemakers. And here's where I get that. Look at verses 17 and 19. We'll close here. Did you notice how Paul identifies himself with Onesimus? Paul tells Philemon, treat Onesimus like he's me treat him like he is the apostle paul and then he says and treat me like i'm onesimus and we get that look whatever onesimus owes you charge it to my account you see following christ and demonstrating the depths of his love for onesimus paul said let me be a substitute Let me be his substitute. And to show you how serious he was, he says, I'm going to write this with my own hand. This is a contract. Do you see the gospel this morning? Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Demonstrating the depths of his own love for his people, for his own love for you. He enters the world and says, let me be their substitute. Let me be their substitute. He came and he identified himself with us. And though we are slaves to sin, Jesus said, God, treat me like I am a slave to sin and treat them like they're me so that they can go free and so that my people can be adopted into your family. Do you see the good news of the gospel? While we were slaves to sin, still sinners, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to go to a cross and become sin for us while. Why? So that we might be reconciled to God so that we could go free and so that we could be adopted into the family of God. You see, the Apostle Paul believed that this message, the gospel message, must be lived out in community, must be lived out in the church. Having been reconciled to God through Christ, we are to become agents of reconciliation in our relationships and in the world. That is our calling as Christians. And so may we, by the grace of God, be people of courage to enter into those hard things. may we also be as we do be full of humility and love and care and while we go, may we collapse into Jesus because he's the fuel and he's the power. May faith church be an oasis where we are living counterculturally in our relationships, where that is being practiced and where the world looks and notices. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of these things. There's so much here. Would you make these things that we have learned a reality in our hearts? Give us courage. Give us humility and kindness and love to be agents of reconciliation in the world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.